Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bible Reading and Coffee Drinking Podcast. Today, I'm excited to read and share with you some of my thoughts on another chapter of the Bible. If you haven't yet, please visit my website at livingchristian.org. There you'll find Bible verse lists, Christian blogs, and a whole lot more. Be sure to check out the apparel store and use the exclusive code PODCAST20 to get 20% off your entire order. So whether you're a longtime follower or a brand new listener, I hope you find something valuable in this video. If you do, I appreciate a rating and review right here on the podcast page. It helps me get the word out. All right, let's get going on the new episode. All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We are doing a special series. Um, if this is if you're just joining us on the Instagram Live or you're tuning in on YouTube or on the podcast, we're doing a special series over the next couple of weeks talking about uh, Easter, uh, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus uh, starting with Mark 12, going through Mark 16. So on today, we're going to do 12. Friday, the, uh, we'll do Mark 13, and so on and so forth. So from here, in the next two weeks, we'll hit five different chapters of Mark. So we'll hit the entire kind of 10 days, uh, 14 days or so, uh, between when Jesus comes in into Jerusalem all the way through from when he resurrects. So that's a special time of year. Uh, we love, I love Easter. Uh, I love the time that uh, we get to study about this. I love Christmas too. As you guys join me for a while, you know I love Christmas. But Easter, something special about learning what Jesus did for us to save us from ourselves and our sins. Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful to celebrate the birth of Christ, but uh, I don't know if, if it can get any better than thinking about and studying how Jesus sacrificed himself for us. So let's dive into Mark 12 today. Uh, as a reminder, if you're not familiar with the story, Jesus has already come into Jerusalem. So that happened about 10 days prior. Uh, so he is in Jerusalem, and now he is talking to a group of people and uh, that are kind of challenging his authority, which is what the common uh, occurrence there in Jerusalem at that time with the, with the Pharisees and everybody else trying to challenge him on what he... Uh, what he was and who he was. Uh, so that's where we pick up in Mark 12. Parable of evil farmers. Then Jesus began teaching them the stories. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit from pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent him uh, sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either killed or beaten, until there was only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. You foreshadowing what's happening here? His son, who he loved dearly. The owner finally sent him, his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmer said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate, Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. All right. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. So what do you think that, why do you think Jesus is telling this story about how a man, right, that owns the vineyard, that created the vineyard, kept sending people, anointed people, to get his share and to take care of and see how things were going on the vineyard, and they killed or beat every single one of them until he sent his only son, so to speak. We'll call it his only son. He sent his son to the vineyard. It's pretty, uh, now that we look back, we kind of know what he was talking about. They, they certainly didn't at the time. 
What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asked. I'll tell you, he will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Did you ever read that this in the scriptures? This is a reference to the Old Testament. Quote, unquote, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord doing and is wonderful to see. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them, that they were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. So Jesus is telling basically to the, the religious leaders, to the Pharisees of the time, this parable about the wicked farmers, the evil farmers. And it took them a little while, but they finally understood what he was talking about. And what Jesus was talking about was him and God. And they were the evil farmers who keep rejecting what God is sending them. Okay? I mean, his parables are fantastic, but most people at the time in the in the New Testament don't really understand the parables. They have a hard time grasping what Jesus is saying. Now we can study it and understand it, but in this story, Jesus is the only son, and obviously when the reference of the Old Testament, Jesus is the cornerstone that everything is built upon. All right, now he's going to keep preaching and keep telling, uh, tell, telling things. Uh, ta- this is taxes for Caesar. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and support of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something that which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we now we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of the gods of gods truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he said, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. His reply, completely amazing. There's two stories on here. One is you can't trap Jesus. All right, they're trying. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to trick him. Obviously, Jesus cannot be tricked. The other message I like on this is the fact that he talks about giving Caesar's what is Caesar, referencing the money. Right, and, and he didn't talk about using money and needing money. What he did was basically said, "Hey, you know, I have no use for this. This is not mine. This is the government's. This is Caesar's. His face is on it. Give it to them, but give God what is God? What is God's? Your heart, your life, everything." Yes, you need to tithe, so to speak. Yes, you need to give back. Yes, you need to support your local church. Yes, you need to do those things. But ultimately, money is just material items and can purchase material items. It's needed to live, so to speak, in our life. We need it to survive. We need it to have a lifestyle that we want to acquire. But ultimately, what we need to give God is our hearts and our lives and our attention, and our love. That's what Jesus is talking about there. All right. Uh, 18, verse 18. A discussion about resurrection. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, which are religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. Excuse me. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry this brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother vowed to marry or marry the widow. But then he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. 
This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, verse 24, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like angels in heaven. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, have you, haven't you ever read about this in the writing of Moses in the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. So a couple things to unpack there. Really, the first thing, which a lot of people don't like to hear, is the fact that we won't be married in heaven. Marriage is an earthly, a worldly institution. Anointed by God, for sure. But they're too, they're getting too wrapped up. And part of it, they're trying to trick Jesus into saying something. They're, they, they Ongoing theme here, right? But what they're trying to understand is how it's going to work after the resurrection. How it's going to work after you are ascended into heaven yourself. And they want it to be like it is here. And Jesus is telling them there's no marriage in heaven. So what you're asking is irrelevant. All right, uh, verse 28, the most important commandment. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Uh, verse 29, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And all your strength. I must miss that one. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And this is repeated in Matthew as well. Verse 20, 32. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all your heart, and all your understanding, all your strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is the most more. This is more important and to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by law. Verse 34, realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I love this part where Jesus replies and, and the fact that this man understood what Jesus was saying and agreed with him. Right, Even though he may have been confused or trying to trick him in the sense of like, You're not God, right? Because there's only one God. But Jesus' reply was of compassion. Of like, hey, you're almost understanding. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus' response was not to tell him that he didn't, what he didn't know. Jesus' response was like, hey, you're almost there. You've almost accepted me. You've almost understood everything that I've been saying. You're almost there. Now I'll say that we need to probably have more compassion for the people who don't understand yet. Walking through life, I'll pause here and I got, I got to just wrap up in a second. But walking through our life, I live in America, and our our life, our culture is all twisted around and upside down and backwards at this point. Right is wrong, wrong is right, up and down, left and right, all that stuff, right? We, 
us as Christians sometimes get a little judgy, <clears throat> right? And for those who don't believe like us, or for those who haven't accepted Christ yet, those who are still living in a particular sin, we tend to demean or persecute or judge. And what Jesus is really doing here is a, is a great example of how we need to treat those people who have yet to understand who Jesus is. You're almost there. Let's, let's pray for those who have not accepted Jesus yet. Let's have compassion for those who have not accepted Jesus yet. And try to get them to understand, even if it's through stories and the way Jesus is doing here, right? So these people are trying to persecute Jesus. He knows he's going to die in a matter of a week. He knows how this is going to play out. His response is compassion in the sense of, okay, I'm going to try to help you understand who I am. Understand who the one true God is. Understand how to live. And, the, and, and with that, he's, he's quick to make sure that he calls them on it, but he also replies with compassion. You're almost there. You've almost, you're not that far from the kingdom of heaven. So let's have a little more compassion for those who have yet to accept Christ in their lives. We need to be praying for them. Be strong in our convictions, but help them get there. All right, let's go on to 35. Whose son is the Messiah? Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he said, Why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my uh, to Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I, humbly, until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Verse 37, Since David called himself the Messiah, my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened to him, with great delight. Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and respect receive respectful greetings as they walk into the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor at the synagogues, the head table of banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property, and they pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. So Jesus pivots to having compassion with somebody and like, oh, you almost understand, you almost get it, to being really harsh on the Pharisees because they're teaching, they're the teachers of religious law. They're the ones that people are supposed to be trusting with their salvation and their faith. And they're the ones that are deceiving people along the way. So he's harsher on them. It's one thing for you not to accept Jesus because you just don't understand yet. You're too much in the culture, too much in the world. You haven't uh, learned enough and, and opened up your heart enough to accept Christ. That's one thing. It's another thing to be like a false teacher where you're, you're deceiving people and you're, you're as you talk about, stealing from widows <laughs> and, and you're doing that in the name of God. That's a whole other ball game. So beware of your false teachers out there. There are lots out there. Last, uh, we'll wrap up on uh, Mark uh, uh, 12 here. Uh, verse 41. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, the poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. 
for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she is poor, and she is, has given everything she had to live on. You hear this repeated many times in the New Testament. You can bless the meek, bless the poor, they will inherit the kingdom of God. It's not about how much money you got on this world. It's how much you're willing to, how much of your life you're willing to give to Christ. Now, in this instance, he's talking specifically about the amount of money she has. She's giving over her livelihood, everything she has to live on, right? So from a percentage standpoint, a rich person can give more money, but it's not the amount of their surplus, as he calls it, okay? But she gives everything. So you can correlate that not just to money, but to your life. How much of your life are you giving to Christ? Is it a prayer here and there? You know, are you reading the Bible occasionally? Are you giving it to him? Are you giving a majority of your offer? Are you living for Jesus? Because this woman is living for her faith and for God. She gave what she all she could and more. So it's not just about the pure amount of money you give. That is part of it. Time, treasure, talents, everything you have in your life. How much are you focused on your faith? That's the good lesson there to end up on. So Mark 12, great. So as you can see in this, uh, you know, Jesus is kind of going through teaching, calling out the Pharisees, showing compassion, showing kind of what it means to give your life to God. And then in a few days time, he knows he will be crucified for it. But he knows his days are short. So he's trying to get in as much as possible uh, in Jerusalem to get uh, people to understand. Cool. All right, so we'll finish up, or we'll keep going, sorry, on Friday with Mark 13. So we're going to do this. If, you, if you're just joining us, uh, we're doing Mark 12 today, 13, 14, 15, 16 over the next week and a half. So we'll have a series of this. And if you miss any one of these, you can check them out on YouTube or on uh, the podcast, Bible Reading and Coffee Drinking. And maybe you're listening to that right now. So make sure you go back if you miss uh, one of the other ones and uh, watch one of the other episodes. So All right, sip of coffee here, and I'll answer a couple of questions and get our Monday going. Get our Monday going. All right, a couple questions here. So if you're um, if you're waiting, if you're on the Instagram Live, uh, make sure you put your question there at the bottom, and I'll answer a couple of them right now. And uh, if you're listening to this afterwards or watching it on YouTube, uh, if you want to join us live on Mondays and Fridays on Instagram, you can submit a question yourself. Uh, what version of the Bible are you reading? I read the Everyman's Bible, which is a New Living Translation Bible. I have several. You can't see over my shoulder here on the video because it's cut off, but I have, uh, I have King James, I have ESV, and IVs. I got lots of different ones. I kind of collect them uh, from my grandfather, my dad, myself. So I have kind of a, a good collection of uh, Bibles. But uh, the one I read um, on my daily basis and on here on this live is the uh, New Living Translation. It's uh, mainly because less of the translation and more of the Bible. The translation is good, but... I do like the fact that uh, you know it has call-outs talking about marriage, talking about being a father, uh, and all those things. So I do like that part of it, this every man's Bible. Uh, if you go to my website, livingchristian.org, I've got a little graphic there for uh, an Amazon link 
uh, Amazon store, which I have a few versions, including that one, uh, of uh, Bibles saved on that for uh, uh, for reference, because I do get that question a lot. Uh, so I kind of put it on a uh, Amazon in case you guys want to go find it. So it's called the Everyman's Bible. You can look it up on there. Uh, but if you go to uh, if you go to uh, livingchristian.org on the website and click the little Amazon thing, uh, it's right there. It's right there. All right, uh, a couple of questions. Let me hit. Make sure you put the questions in the question mark. Uh, you're going too fast when I'm watching it. Um, all right, did God make Saturday or Sunday the day for church? Well, that's a that's an age old question that people fight over. Uh, in reality, this okay. Here's my short answer. Okay. Uh, as a as a Jewish person, the last day of the week was Saturday, so they they went to um, they went to synagogue and everything on Saturdays. Okay, as Christians, right, we go to church on Sunday. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that is the day that Jesus was resurrected. So the early church started going to having their services on Sunday versus Saturday. For two reasons. One is they wanted to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. That distinguished them from the, the Jewish people at the time. Okay? So the, the Jewish, they, went to, they, they celebrated on Saturday. That was their Sabbath, so to speak, the last day of the week. And we moved that, or the early Christian church moved that to Sundays, uh, A, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And the other part of that is um, is the fact that they wanted to distinguish themselves from the Jewish church. So that's some of the more tactical approach uh, that I've read about, uh, the fact that they didn't want to just have a competing service in some of these towns that they were spreading the gospel in. They wanted to distinguish themselves from the Jewish church at the time, so they moved it to Sunday, which in turn correlated with the resurrection. So it talks about, as we're going to hit next week, on um, on in Mark uh, 16, the fact that he... Uh, was rose from the grave on that Sunday. So that is why we go to church on Sundays, as far as my research and as far as my uh, learning uh, has taught me. So that's my answer. All right, uh, a couple more questions here, then we'll get out of here. Um, how do you? Uh, how can I live fully for Christ? Uh, it's challenging, I'd say, in today's world, in any world, but uh, in today's culture and society, everything is kind of kind of pulling us away from living for Christ. Um, so my advice to you is try to saturate yourself with everything you can that keeps you focused on Jesus. One of the reasons why I named my channel Living Christian and the website Living Christian uh, is because I felt like uh, I was I was you know participating and doing the things I needed to do, so to speak, of checking those boxes on Sundays and all that stuff. Now I grew up Baptist, so I grew up going to Wednesday church and yada, yada, yada. So I, I was in many services, so to speak. But as I got older, I felt like I, my Sunday was God's day in my mind, and the rest of the week was just uh, my life, right? And I felt like that wasn't what God wanted me to do. So I, I created Living Christian because I want to live a Christian lifestyle and help other people live a Christian lifestyle seven days a week. So with that, I have blogs and Bible verse list and social media accounts and uh, music playlist on Spotify. I, I try to uh, do all those things as much as I can every single day to keep that uh, relationship going and, and help protect me from the world which is trying to pull me away. So to answer your question, how do you live fully for Christ? You've got to be all about him all the time. So when you get up in the morning, open the Bible app, the YouVersion app on your phones if you have that. Read a plan. Read the verse of the day. Read your Bible. Crack open an actual hard Bible and not just your phone. 
get into a pattern, listen to Christian music, listen to Christian podcasts like mine, follow these accounts that I have. Uh, you know, I have Living Christian on Pinterest and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all over the place. I'm constantly working to try to get the word out for you guys. So keep following that. So it's that's what you need to do uh, in order to kind of fight the world away. Most importantly, and I'll end on this, uh, most importantly is pray. You got to keep that communication going with God. If you follow me for a long time, you know I say this all the time. The key to all successful relationships is communication. I've been married for 22 years. I know this to be true. It works the same way with God. you got to communicate. You can't expect God to intervene in your life if you're not talking to Him. If you ignore Him, He's not going to ignore you. He's always right next to you, but you won't feel close to Him. Pray. Pray all the time. It can be formal. It can be casual. There are many times that I'm, I just randomly just talk to God in the middle of my day, not as an organized prayer where I'm getting down on my knees or sitting down and closing my eyes. I'm just like thoughts in my head. I'm like, hey, Lord, da 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 you got to get in that pattern and work on your prayer life. It will change you from the inside out. I promise you that. I promise you that. And if you don't believe that, then you're not praying enough. Because if you pray enough, you'll understand all right. All right. Sip of coffee and let's uh, let's actually do a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us together. Thank you for what Jesus, for what you did, Jesus Christ, next week, over 2,000 years ago. We're so thankful that you sacrificed yourself for us. No longer do we have to sacrifice burnt offerings and do all the, the organized things that the the Pharisees and the Jewish people and the religious people of the time had to do. We no longer have to do that anymore, Lord. We're so thankful that you took that mantle for us. You are the perfect lamb that sacrificed yourself for us. We're so thankful for us and we're so grateful for the opportunity to read about it. The fact that you gave us this Bible to learn about what you did and how much you love us, that you're willing to sacrifice yourself in order to give us an easier path home we're so grateful for that i'm praying for everybody watching or listening to this right now that they open their hearts and open their minds in the next couple of weeks to the possibilities of what god can do what you can do in their lives lord i want you to provide the strength and the protection for them, but also the understanding so they can grasp what you did for all of us. We're so grateful for that. It's in Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, uh, let's hit uh, Mark 13 on Friday. As I mentioned, uh, if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, check it out. I'm doing some new videos and stuff over there that's not going to be on Instagram or anywhere else. Uh, so check it out over there, and let's try to uh, do some stuff over on that. It's kind of fun. So I uh, love you guys. Uh, talk to you all on Friday. Until next time, keep Jesus on your heart and forever on your mind. God bless you guys.